Our scripture this morning comes to us from Mark 13, and I think you'll see verses 24 through 37 in your bulletins, but I'm, uh, I'm going to follow the Spirit, and I'm actually going to read most of chapter 13, if, if you'll let me, if you'll let me. Listen now for a word from God. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus said? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? And Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed, such things must happen but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And everyone will hate you because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it doesn't belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And now, hear this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. 
Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for these apocalyptic passages. And God, thank you for time set aside to dwell on them. Lord, I pray that whatever words we would hear this morning would come from you and not from me. Amen. It's a great way to kick off Advent, isn't it? Nice little uh, revelation-like passage. I, di- I didn't choose that. I did choose to read the whole thing, but I want you to know that came up in the lectionary. And when I saw it and I read it, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Who, <laughs> whose job was it to choose this for Advent 1? And are, are they still employed? Because if so, I need to call whoever that was. Um, but I promise you, I think, I think there is a connection. I think. So when we first moved here in the middle of a pandemic, um, it was very difficult to find housing. Um, and, and in fact, the, the only thing that we could really find within our price range was an Airbnb. And, and actually, let me put that in quotes. It was an Airbnb, um, because this Airbnb was not necessarily suitable for anybody. Um, it had, uh, you know, it had this one room that it, it caught on fire right before we moved in. And uh, they had to close off one room. And the way they closed it off was putting a little latch on the door that was burned through. So you could actually just step through the charred remains of the door and enter the room. But they had blocked it off, technically. And uh, you could see all of the studs were charred and the floor was charred. And in fact, if if you were brave enough and you wanted, you could have jumped through the floor into the basement um, there. And then actually the, the bathroom that we had was uh, there was no sink in there. The toilet wobbled when you sat on it, and it leaked when you flushed it. And um, actually, the, the bathtub, and tell me if I have this right, was held together by duct tape and, and sort of uh, caulked with duct tape. And so, you know, it was uh, precarious, and you had to watch which tiles you stepped on because many of them were cracked. And if you know anything about cracked tile, it can be very sharp, so you had to be careful. Um, in the living room, there, was, uh, there were holes going into the basement to allow you easy access in case you needed it. And, um, it, you know, it, it just was, it was not a great situation. And, and the way they sold this Airbnb was like, it's this great two-bed, one-bath, convenient location, blah, 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 blah. Um, did, did not turn out to be too great. So when we showed up, uh, Sarah, if, if you remember, was ha- you were eight months pregnant at the time? She was eight months pregnant at the time, and um, we, were on a, we were on a timer, you know. We, we knew we could not stay in the house. We couldn't bring a kid back to that house for sure. Uh, it, it wasn't safe for us. So the clock was ticking, um, and we're trying to find housing. We're trying to move into a house and uh, kind of hit hurdle after hurdle. You know, it's, it's hard to apply for a loan when um, I- you're in between jobs, kind of, or you've just switched jobs, moved across the country, and you're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, on top of that, uh, pastor's compensation is really, really wonky, and you don't want me to go into that right now, but um, suffice it to say, banks really don't like the way that we are compensated. It confuses them, and they're uh, not too trusting of, you know, our s- the stability of our income is the way it was termed. 
And so uh, we're having trouble getting all this, and we're, we're kind of looking for some options. And, and finally, we called uh, my friend Darius, who lives up in Troy. And some of you actually met Darius when we were doing what I call my tryout sermon at the church. Um, we were out in the parking lot in the middle of the pandemic. It was, uh, it was pretty hot that day, I remember. <laughs> um, but Darius came to support us, so you may have met him. But he, uh, he's a great friend from seminary. Uh, he and I used to hang out together. And I called him, and I said, hey, man, we're— we're having trouble with housing around here. Is there anything or anyone that you know that might be able to help? And so he puts us in touch with this guy named Michael Brown. And I, I'm going to give a shameless plug for Michael Brown, his real estate uh, agency right now. Uh, if you are looking to sell your home and you need someone to go to, Michael Brown at James T. Ray Select Real Estate Agents is your guy, okay? Call him immediately. He's the best. He's the best. He uh, immediately took our call, started meeting with us, and then offered to drive us around in the pandemic with masks on to look at all of these houses he had found that weren't necessarily on the market yet, not available, or were going to be on the market. And he had, he had called in favors of other real estate agents to try to get them to help us. And I mean, this was, he was going above and beyond to the point that when it came to dealing with the banks, he called a friend of a banker that he knew, who called another friend, who called an aunt and an uncle, and blah, 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 who eventually put us in touch with someone at a bank that said, oh yeah, we know how to work with pastors, and actually we've got this great program, we'll grandfather you into it, this will be a breeze, no problem. Michael Brown, James T. Ray, <laughs> I'm telling you, I owe this guy my life. He is phenomenal, and uh, we are forever grateful to him. So uh, during that time, as we're kind of going through all that turmoil, Sarah can attest to this, I, was, um, I wasn't, one, in the best of moods. Two, I also wasn't very motivated to do anything because it felt like the sky was falling. It felt like the world was kind of coming to an end. I was like, oh, my gosh, what did we do? We just moved across the country in the middle of a pandemic. We landed in this Airbnb that looked good, that definitely was not good, and now we're hitting hurdle after hurdle trying to get into this house, and I just... I had no motivation, and to be honest with you, like Sarah kind of carried us through that time. She's nodding her head, yeah, I did, and she should be nodding it more effusively because I was really not a great help. Um, and then, so w once we move, we get in the house that we're in now, everything's great, we, we move, we throw all of our stuff in, and now I'm feeling like, oh, we arrived. This is great. Let's get a little bit of rest. We moved in on Naima's due date, was that right? Two days before Naima's due date, so I thought we've got two days or at least a couple days where I can rest. I can get some sleep because I'm not going to be getting sleep soon. Um, and we just started a new job. I mean, there's a lot going on. I just wanted to rest. Not Sarah. <laughs> Sarah went through the process of getting out of the old situation, making all of that work. And, um, and now that we're in the new house, she starts moving furniture. She starts moving boxes. She starts setting all of these things up, and she's so motivated that it's blowing me away I can't believe it I feel like a bum because I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like I I just need to rest you know and I'm I'm not nine months pregnant um, <laughs> I'm not going through a lot of pain and I don't have doctor's orders to just lay around uh, but I am taking her doctor's orders because she wasn't and so you know we're, we're going through all of these transitions and she just won't stop and 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 I'm really having a hard time finding the motivation but it peaked at this point, and I, I brought some evidence of this, it peaked at the point where we're past Naima's due date. 
she's supposed to not be doing anything, and so uh, she, she finally took the advice from the doctor to, to sit and to not do anything and to rest her body, but she did not rest her mind. So what she started doing amidst all of this when we could just be relaxing was she started making these lists, okay? And Sarah, actually, if you could come down and, and help me here because I've I don't have enough hands to read these. She started making all of these lists. And if you know Sarah, she loves spreadsheets. She loves lists. She loves organizing things. And if you know me, I'm allergic to all of that, actually. So I have these lists that um, I, I held on to because they made me laugh. But in the midst of her being um, past due on the pregnancy and um, you know, going to give birth any moment, she makes all of these lists for me. And this is just a handful of them, OK? I don't have time to go through all of them, but uh, the first one here, I'll just read this. This is directions to St. Joe's Ann Arbor in uh, Ypsilanti, and uh, their directions from the church here at Fort Street, directions from Ward Avenue where we're living, directions from the pediatrician, all of those things, just in case. There was a copy of this on my office desk. There's a copy on Sarah's office desk. There's a copy at the house. There was a copy in each glove box yeah. of our cars. Uh, and there was probably a copy in my backpack. <laughs> That's just one list. Wait, let me, can I get the map? Please? Oh, sure, yeah. There's also this map attached to all of the directions <laughs> to the hospital. Okay, and you'll notice this has nice color. I'll show our jazz friends here. It's nice, it's color coordinated, and you can't really see it from where you are, but it was actually highlighted. And uh, the highlight marks the spot where you can publicly park. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were multiple options for me to park my car that Sarah had pointed out. <laughs> there was the entrance to the treatment centers area. And, uh, you know, on the, well, not on the back of this one, on the back of one of them, directions for how to get where I needed to go. There was a copy of this where all of the copies of the directions were. Because you never know when GPS is going to fail. <laughs> that was my point. What if the phone systems go down? You know, you have to have hard copies from every possible location and every possible vehicle. And it was a new city, right? We didn't know how to get where the hospitals were. That's so right. That's I right. mean, it only makes sense. There was, there was work to do in her mind. Yes. Now, mind you, the whole time she's doing this, I'm sitting on the couch, <laughs> probably on my phone, goofing off. So I also have baby and hospital info, so all the numbers I would ever need. And then my favorite, and, and I, I will stop after this, uh, ways to help Sarah in labor list. <laughs> yeah, you're going to love this. Also, there is a laminated copy of this <laughs> that I did put in your wallet. There is a laminated copy of this in my wallet. I still have that, by the way. Yeah. Um, it, all of this while she's, you know, nine months pregnant, getting ready to pop. So... Um, Here's ways to help Sarah in labor. <laughs> this pain is, pur th these are things I could say. This pain is purposeful, anticipated, intermittent, and normal. It's important. It's important. <laughs> and I did say these things. I had this, <laughs> you don't want this image. I'm going to give it to you. While she's in labor, I have this list in front of my <laughs> face like this. And I'm saying this pain is purposeful, and. <laughs> And I don't know if I'm talking to myself or I'm talking to her, but um, so you can do hard things. Your body is amazing. <laughs> You've done, can you help me with that word? 32 fouettes on point. 32 fouettes on point, which is apparently a really hard thing that ballerinas do. You have run marathons. You have climbed mountains. You can do this. I love you. You're doing a great job. 
I could never do this. <laughs> you are stronger than I am. It's okay to get an epidural if you want one. <laughs> this, is, this is taking me back. Um, this is all three years ago as of yesterday, by exactly, the way. Exactly, so. yeah. Um, and then uh, I, have, I have a note here to play cello music, and the playlist was downloaded on Sarah's phone. And then uh, a note to walk her through a body scan meditation and tell her to breathe into the wave. So, and th there are more on there. If you'd like to see them after, I'll be waiting at that door, <laughs> and I'll be happy to share them. Thank you, Sarah. Can we give her just a yes. round of applause for yes. helping? Thank you. Thank you. Now what does that have to do with Mark chapter 13? It's the question of the morning. You know, Sarah went through this flurry of activity to try to s get us out of that house when I thought the sky was falling, and, and then she went through this flurry of activity when I thought we had arrived and we could just sort of rest and wait. And I think that a as humans, we, we do this, don't we? We lose our internal drive. We lose our motivations. We lose our purpose sometimes when we feel like everything's collapsing around us. Nothing's going right nothing's working, nothing is on my side. In fact, it feels like God and the world are against me. And then we can lose our motivation and our drive and our purpose when we feel like, oh, oh, we did everything we need to do. We're done. We've arrived. We're good. In our text for this morning, we kind of open on Jesus, and he's, he's coming out of the temple. And um, if you follow the story and Mark closely enough, he's, he's coming out of the temple right after he's cleansed it. So you remember the story. He, he comes in, um, you know, on Palm Sunday to great applause. And uh, he's, got, he's riding on a donkey that he's borrowed from somebody, and um, he's got all of his disciples coming in with him, and it's almost like this giant parade of people are waiting for him, and they're waving all of these leaves, and they're shouting Hosanna, and they're celebrating him. And in Mark's version, Jesus kind of goes from that scene, and he goes up to the temple. And when he's in the temple, he realizes, like, oh, this is not what it's supposed to be. Nothing is working here the, the way it's supposed to. And so he goes in, and, and you remember that famous line he shouts? He says, you know, my father's house is a house of prayer, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. Because there's people in there that are changing money out for a ridiculous profit. There's people that are taking advantage of the poor. There are people there who have really just turned it into a giant economic machine. And they don't care anything about the rituals. They don't care anything about the people. They don't care anything about God. They just care about lining their pockets. And Jesus is at the point where he's saying, I'm done with that. And so he goes and he sits down, and, and, and I, I don't remember if this is in Mark's version or, or uh, John's, but he sits down and he makes a whip of cords, and he drives the people out, and he flips the tables, and he effectively cleanses the temple. Well, after he does that, we get this scene in Mark where he's coming out of the temple, <laughs> and, and apparently one of his disciples says to him, Teacher, look at these magnificent stones. Wow, look at all of this architecture, teacher. Can you believe it? Isn't it beautiful? And Jesus, kind of in a bad mood, says, Yeah, look at all this. But you know it's not going to last, right? 
You know these walls are going to crumble. You know not one stone is going to be left upon another. And there's kind of an awkward silence because what do you say after that? (laughs) And they walk away and they go to the Mount of Olives, which is facing, Mark tells us, the opposite of the temple. And they're looking out over the whole city. And then Peter, James, John, and I think it said Andrew, go up to Jesus and they say, hey, um, remember that thing that you said about the temple being destroyed? Can you, can you tell us when that's going to happen? Could you maybe just give us a clue? Because we're, I mean, we're not too worried about it, but we're kind of worried about it. And um, Jesus launches into this long speech that we heard this morning, this long and and really scary speech, and, you know, he says things like, well, there's going to be wars, and there's going to be rumors of wars, and then there's going to be earthquakes, and then there's going to be famine, and then there's going to be drought, and and, uh, people will rise against other people, and families against families, and children are going to hate their parents, and he starts saying just all of these awful things, and you get this litany of chaos, that ends on this really strange note, I thought. He says at the end of all of that, there's war, there's famine, people hate each other, blah, 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 blah. And this, Jesus says, is just the birth pains. These are just the beginning of the things to come. And then he launches into a whole other list of other things that are going to happen. How many of you, while I was reading that, were like, uh, you know, Pastor Garrett, I was watching the news last night, and uh, I actually saw that there are wars going on. There are earthquakes. There are fam- Anyone get uh, some creepy vibes from that? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I was reading it, and I thought, wow, you could pull so much of this out and just throw it in the Times or throw it in the free press, whatever newspaper you read, and it could be a headline because we see it. And it's happening all around us, and so it's hard not to feel afraid by these texts, isn't it? I preached on Revelation a couple weeks ago, and I I promise you I'm not turning into like fire and brimstone up here, okay? Um, These are the texts that are coming, but I I read it again, and I thought, wow, it's it's so hard not to kind of be triggered by these texts because we see it happening all around us, and it's, it's really hard to ignore, and I think in those moments, it's, it's hard for us when we see it happening all around us to not throw our hands up and say, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. What's the point of anything? Why should we even try? Well, Jesus' disciples um, were likely feeling the same thing. You know, th- this passage in Mark w- was actually not... Uh, we're, we're pretty certain it's not historical in the sense that it, it happened the way that we're reading it. It was added after the Gospel of Mark was written. And we kind of know this. You, you heard me. There, there was this little line, maybe you caught it, where I said, and let the reader know. And this is sort of the writer's textual note for the people reading that, um, hey, pay attention to this reader because I'm giving you some clues. And, and this, and there are some other kind of things happening in the text that let us know that this is added after the fact. And we know that it's added after the temple has already been destroyed. 
And so the writer is writing this at a time when um, Jesus' disciples, who weren't the same disciples from the story, but people who had sort of kept up uh, the way and, and were continuing to follow the path of Jesus, they are experiencing everything that is happening in this text. And so as they're hearing it or they're reading it or they're, you know, they're, they're in their church groups and they're listening to this, they are saying, oh, my gosh, that is happening right now. The temple has been destroyed, like Jesus said. There are famines. There are earthquakes. People are rising up against other people. Oh, my goodness. We're at the end. This is the apocalypse, the end of the world. But I don't think Mark, or the writer of this text, is just throwing that in to kind of tell people, hey, Jesus called the end of the world, so great job. Uh, now you know when it is, get ready. Mark is placing this in here as scary as it is to encourage the people that are listening, that are experiencing the destruction of the temple, that are experiencing all of these terrible things that we're told uh, are, are the worst things that have ever happened in the history of the world. He's putting this in there to encourage them. And I, I don't know if you caught this, but right at the end of the passage, he says, but in those days, the elect, those who follow the way, those who are Jesus' followers, the Christians, anyone on the side of the Lord. In those days, they will look up and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, riding in glory, and he will send his angels to come and to gather them. Now, without getting too much into eschatology and what we believe and don't believe, I think this is a general way of the writer of this passage saying, hey, when it's this bad, and it was that bad when they were reading this and listening to it, when it's this bad, don't turn your eyes away from God. Don't look away from the path. You're going to hear about war. You're going to hear about famine. You're going to hear about all of these awful things, and the media is going to tell you about it over and over and over because that's how they get clicks. That's how they get money. That's how they get all. This is going to go on even when that is happening. Jesus says, don't take your eyes off of heaven. And the writer wants to encourage those that are reading this and listening to it not to stray from the path because it's so easy when it feels like the world is coming to an end to throw our hands up and say well what is the point of anything in mark the writer of this text is saying even in those moments there is still work to do You know, I've had a hard time since Naima was born of not kind of getting sucked into the news cycle like that because, like, you think about your kid and then you start to think about her friends and you start to think about your nieces and your nephews and you start reading the news. And, and really, like, at least for me, I, 
you're less worried about yourself and you're more worried about what world are they inheriting, you know? Did anyone relate to that? Like, what, what's coming for my baby? What is she going to experience? And it's really hard for me not to get, you know, kind of sucked into all of that and to, to become anxious and to do what I did when we were trying to get out of that house, you know, like to sit on my hands and, and, and basically almost give up and say, what's the point? But that really isn't our call. There's this guy, Carl Henry, has this wonderful quote. I, I wish I could claim it as my own, but he says, you know, the call of the early Christians that are listening to this passage in Mark, the call for them was to tell a different story. And he says, you know, they, they weren't required to look at the world and say, oh, my goodness, look what this world is coming to. Can you believe it? All of this war, all this famine, all this sin, all these people, that next generation, oh, my, look what they're doing. Their call is not to say, look what this world is coming to. Carl Henry says their call was to say, look what is coming into this world. Look up into heaven and notice how God is entering. The call is not to look around and see how everything is falling apart. We got enough people doing that for us all the time. Our job as Christians, as we express the hope of Advent in a world that sometimes does feel a little bit hopeless, especially when Canada is on fire for most of the year, and half of Australia burns a couple years ago, and the rich are getting richer, and it's harder to make a living, and all of these things are happening over and over and over, and it feels like democracy might be on its last breath. In those moments, the hope of God, the hope of Advent, the call of us as brothers and sisters in faith is not to decry the world and say, look what it's coming to, but to say, look, look who is coming into the world. Look at God. Look how God's working here. Look how God is working there. Look at what God is up to. And so my encouragement to you as we kick off this Advent season is to try where you can, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself the morning, I promise. Try where you can to switch that perspective. See what God is up to first before you notice everything that's falling apart. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for today and thank you again for these scary passages. Lord, I ask that you would help us change our minds and hearts to see you coming into the world and not what the world is coming to. In Jesus' name. Amen.